Before we get into today's stories, check out DreadsArmy.com, where I release strange and weird news every single day. Now let's get to the stories. I've been a cop in a small town in West Virginia for a lot of years. Our population is only around 3,000 people. It's generally pretty quiet when you're patrolling a town that size. There are mostly just small shenanigans to deal with. One day, a report came in on a runaway teenager. I knew of the family, and this girl had run away a few times before. She was probably about 16 or 17 years old by then. She and her mother had a real troubled relationship. The father had moved out and gone to live in another state. The mother was quite a piece of work and was always tearing the girl down. I couldn't blame her for running away, really. Half the time when we got these reports, the truth ended up being that the mother had kicked the kid out of the house. I showed up one time on a disturbing the peace call, and I found the mother outside throwing rocks at the girl and screaming at her to leave. I know teenagers can be a handful, but I felt sorry for that girl. In a bigger city, if a kid that age runs away, you'll get one patrol car who gets the assignment to basically put out a description one time. At most, they'll go to a friend or two's house and see if they can find out anything. Then they'll file a report and enter the person as a wanted in the computer. There are so many runaways. The chances are pretty small that officers will have time to make it a priority. And a person that old is usually leaving home on their own free will. And it's not considered an emergency. But if found, the juvenile will be forcibly returned and the wanted status will be canceled. That's what kept happening to this girl. This time, the report said that she had gone off with some kid on a motorcycle. I had the luxury of spending the time it took to ask questions and run down the leads. A friend of hers said they had camping gear with them, and they had mentioned heading towards Sutton Lake. I was familiar with that area. My own family had spent a good amount of time camping and fishing there. Now that it was early summer, that would be a good place to hide out. I was personally invested in making sure this girl was okay. No one had any idea who the guy was that she was with, but it did sound like he was of similar age. If a girl runs off with an older guy, there are criminal charges he can face, like endangering the welfare of a minor. At around 8 p.m., I headed east on Interstate 79 and then turned off toward the Elk River Wildlife Area. Before you get to the lake, there's a small cemetery that you go by called Poplar Ridge. I was passing by there when I noticed a motorcycle parked near one of the buildings. I pulled in and shone my spotlight over the chain link fence, but I didn't see anybody. The bike was loaded down with saddlebags and a big duffel bag so it matched the description. I got out of the car to have a look around. There are big trees surrounding the cemetery, and when I was walking around the perimeter, I noticed some flickering lights in the woods. I headed into the trees to check it out. I got closer and I could tell that something was shining a flashlight back and forth. Then I hear this piercing scream. Before I could move or do anything, something big and black came flying out of the woods. It passed in front of me about 20 feet away and flew toward the cemetery. Then more screams came from the woods. I was about to call out when two teenagers came out of the trees and ran towards me, looking wild-eyed. They were breathing hard and gasping about a monster. I tried to get them to calm down and tell me what happened. They said they had seen something huge crouched on a branch about five feet off the ground and had shown their flashlight at it, and they had caught sight of these big red eyes staring at them. That's when the girl had screamed, and the thing had flown out of the trees. 
I wouldn't have believed him if I hadn't seen it myself, that thing flying past me. I turned around and ran back in the direction it had flown. I'm not in the habit of chasing monsters, but if you had seen how big this thing was, you'd understand why I was freaked out. I even had my gun drawn by now. I approached the chain-link fence and looked over. I shone my flashlight on the gravestones, then I saw something perched on one of them. It was crouched on the stone and it looked like something that was half-human and half-bat. It turned its head towards me and I could see a face, but my light caught two reflective red eyes. It looked like some awful angel of death or something. I was pointing my gun at it, and it spread its wings and whooshed off, faster than you would think is possible. Me and the kids could only gape at the gravestone where it had been. We were just stunned into silence. Eventually, I came to my senses as I suspected. These were the kids I was looking for. We went back down to the patrol car and I made my report. I told the sergeant about the monster, but he said just to stick with the facts and not to mention it. I felt like that was wrong, but what could I do? I'm sure no one would believe it anyway. Hi Donovan, I wanted to start off by saying thanks for putting this together. It's nice to have a community where I won't feel crazy about bringing this stuff up. I've never really gotten into stories about strange happenings. But a few years back, when I was out in the Humboldt County area, something happened that made me a believer. I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners are aware that this is a pretty remote area of California. It's also beautiful, and a ton of people go missing there every year. I live in Nevada, but my cousin, who I've always been close with, lives in California. In 2012, I was headed to college, so we decided to do a bit of a road trip through Northern California before I had to live in the dorm. My cousin, I'm going to call him Todd for privacy reasons, is no stranger to the north part of the state. He's a bit of a daredevil and is always trying crazy, risky sports and hobbies. I told him I wanted to keep this trip tame, which he was up for. We were going to do a drive up the famous 101, then hook over to 299. It cuts east through the state, and there's a nice mountainy area I was excited about. At the time, my cousin was driving a really old Nissan. It actually had a hole that was starting to wear through the passenger side floor, and I had to keep my feet a certain way, so I didn't accidentally put my foot through the floor. This was in late summer, and the weather was great. Further north, it cools down a bit. So we had the windows down, and my cousin had an epic playlist on. The first few nights, we stayed in motels and bumped around towns like Eureka. We met up with two of Todd's friends around there, and they joined us for the drive. At some point, the group of us started telling stories about odd things that had happened to us here and there. I didn't have much to contribute. Like I said, I've had a pretty tame life growing up. No weird experiences. But one of the girls who was with us, Catherine, seemed really into this stuff. She had a few different encounters, as she called them. At first, me, Todd, and the other friend kind of laughed and made fun of Catherine a bit. But after about an hour of chatting on this topic, it was obvious she was getting upset about us not believing her. The mood in the car had also changed. Maybe just because it was coming on nighttime. We were on 299, but not too far along it. This was a stretch where it was really woodsy, and Todd spotted a pretty deep pull-off to the right. So we decided to camp out there. I go camping a few times a year and I love it, but that night, I was definitely on edge. I thought it was just Catherine's creepy stories. 
They had gotten weirder and weirder as she told them. I just tried to shrug it off. My cousin and I had shared one tent, and the two friends had actually brought hammocks. So they started up a fire to heat up some wood while we set up the tent. The night was pretty quiet and uneventful. This is where it gets a little weird. Even writing in, I feel really self-conscious about this part, but I think finally telling someone about it will help me get over it. Late the next morning, the other girl, I can't remember her name, mentioned that there was a waterfall nearby down this little dirt road. It was a popular hiking area, and we decided to stop. There were a few other cars parked there, so nothing felt out of the ordinary. I switched out my sneakers for boots. Everyone grabbed their bags and water, and we started into the woods. It was a beautiful day, but surprisingly dark under the trees. At first, the hike was flat, but soon it started going uphill. It made sense since we were heading for the waterfall. There were a few tight switchbacks, and some of these opened up into a view. We could see mountains not too far from us, and pockets where the woods dipped down. The fog was rising up out of those dips, which was one of my favorite parts of being in the mountains. About a half hour into the hike, we stepped out onto a switchback that was pretty bare. All four of us slowed down to take in the view. There was another slightly taller and rugged-looking mountain directly across from us. It had some bald spots, rocky faces sticking out through the trees, and it was on one of those rock faces that we saw the figure. At first, Todd thought it was a bear and quietly pointed it out. But soon, it was obvious from the way it was moving that this wasn't a bear. It was definitely a person. The girls backed off the trail a bit, and I could tell that they were both uncomfortable. I joined them quickly because the figure across the way from us turned, and it was definitely a person. A guy wearing a dark cloak. I don't know how else to explain it. Almost like a robe. I couldn't get a good look at his face. It was immediately a weird thing to see in the middle of the woods. And the fact that he looked like he was just waiting for something really freaked me out. Todd was standing near the edge of the switchback, basically holding his breath. I had this horrible feeling that something bad was going to happen if the guy turned and saw us. Luckily, right then, a family with a few young kids came trudging down the trail towards us. Todd had to get out of the way, and it kind of reset the vibe. It was hard to smile and act normal. I almost wanted to point out that guy to them, but I glanced back that way, and he was gone. We gave it a few minutes after the family passed, and then we all agreed to head back down to the car. None of us wanted to be out in the woods with whatever that was. We made it back in record time, piled in, and flew down 299. No way were we camping in those woods that night. Eventually, Catherine reluctantly started telling another story about something called the Dark Watchers. A few months later, I gave in and I looked them up. I think she might have been right. It definitely seems like what we saw. They're basically beings in the woods who watch travelers, which I guess we were that day. I think my gut had picked on something because according to the legends, they're relatively harmless unless you make eye contact with them. I'm not sure what happens then, but people disappear. That's not unusual for Humboldt County, but it makes me wonder how many of those missing people have encountered dark watchers. This is the first time I'm bringing it up to anybody. Only Todd and the girls know what we experienced that day. I guess I could have used it as a freshman icebreaker, but I would have immediately been the weird kid. As freaky as it was, it's good to know that that stuff is out there. I'm a lot more careful now and aware. Thanks again for listening and getting info like this out there. Hey Donovan, 
I'm writing in with a UFO story from upstate Maine, just south of New Brunswick, Canada. My home is almost on the border, so I'm about as far north as you can get. I spent a few years out of high school working on an oil rig, and once I had money saved up, I built a small cabin up here on almost 20 acres of land. It's the perfect, peaceful place I've always wanted, but definitely comes with some strange events. Most of these events can be attributed to day-to-day things like neighbors who don't understand the boundary lines. It's not usually an issue as I own a few firearms and can be pretty intimidating when I want to. Having two cane corsos helps too. I have a few chickens and the dogs keep the coyotes and foxes off the property. This past spring, I had a UFO experience that I thought you might find interesting. I say UFO because that's the only option I've been able to come up with for what I've witnessed. I'll just get straight to it. I always take my dogs out before going to bed, and in early April, I brought them out back to do their thing. They're two big neutered males, so I have a six-foot industrial fence that encloses about 700 feet of yard, so I don't have to worry about them getting out. I like to go out and stand on the porch with them just to keep an eye on things, and that's what I was doing at this time. It was pretty late and already dark, but I have floodlights out back, so the whole area was lit up to the tree line. My girlfriend was on her way over, and I was keeping an ear out. I live on a dirt road, and it's easy to hear cars coming up my way. I was just enjoying the night and watching the dogs romp around when I saw something out of place over the trees. Like I said, this is pretty far north, so seeing lights isn't uncommon. A few times of year, you can actually see the northern lights from Maine, and it's pretty cool. But even as I was squinting to try to make out what I was looking at, I realized it wasn't really the season to see the aurora borealis. The dogs were completely ignorant of what was going on overhead and just sniffing around in the grass. I stared up at what looked like a foggy area spreading low on the horizon, just behind the treetops. It was hard to tell how large or small it was because I couldn't really place how far away it was. At first, it did look a little like the northern lights, but whenever I've seen them, they've been a bright blue or green. This was kind of a soupy gray color. I kept staring for a minute, trying to remember if there was an airport or something out that way. Definitely nothing like city lights that would flood the night sky. I was about to write it off just as a weird night and call the dogs in when five lights in a perfect row suddenly blinked into existence. They were lined up perfectly horizontally. That seemed odd. I have heard of satellites or launch known objects showing up in the sky with this kind of lighting but usually the local chatter gives me a heads up about this stuff. I pulled out my phone and I called my girlfriend. She answered and quickly said she was a few minutes away. Are you at a place that you can pull off, I asked. I could tell by the tone of her voice that she thought it was a strange question, but she agreed to pull off onto the side of the road and asked why. When she pulled over, I explained that I was seeing something weird in the sky, and I wanted to know if she could see it where she was. I heard her open her car door on the other end. A few seconds of silence, and then she confirmed that, yeah, she could see it. We talked about what it might be for a moment when the light suddenly shifted. That is what made me absolutely sure it wasn't a satellite or some kind of mechanical object. It looked to be five completely separate components. The lights separated from one another in different directions that didn't look geometric or intentional. One on the far right shot off into the distance and disappeared. On the other end of the line, I heard a car door shut again, 
and my girlfriend shakily said she was coming over. We hung up and I watched as the other two lights kind of drifted away in relatively the same direction. The dogs had quieted by now, and they were on the porch, definitely confused about why I was still standing there. I blinked and then all of a sudden, one light in particular had moved significantly closer. I couldn't quite tell what it was, but it was definitely bigger, and shrouded in that gray fog like like I'd seen first. It moved slowly over the trees, probably a few miles out, and at the same time I heard my girlfriend pull the car into the driveway. She came around to the side of the house through the gate, quickly greeted the dogs and got up next to me. I pointed out the largest light. The others were all gone now. That was almost acting as if they were scoping out the area. Is that near anything, she asked, but neither of us could identify why it would be there. We watched it move out for a few minutes until it started receding again, and then, like the others, it just sort of dissipated. Both of us had trouble sleeping that night. I didn't necessarily get a malevolent feeling from it, but just knowing that UFOs are really out there makes me a little uncomfortable. It feels better to have a roof over my head. I don't always go out with the dogs these days, and while I appreciate the peace and quiet out there, it really makes you think about just how alone we are. I got a story from last fall in Chicago. I still don't really know what happened. I'm a commuter student over at the University of Illinois. I got a job with a local cleaning company, and I liked it because the schedule was pretty flexible. I'd have my shift during the night and my classes during the afternoon, and it was almost enough money to feel comfortable. I liked the company and I figured it was pretty steady work until I could find something else. Most of my assignments were for hotels and office buildings. Then a new apartment building opened up on the north side, and I got placed there. The first thing that happened, and this didn't make any sense, was that I needed both a security clearance and a physical before I could start the position. These were upscale condos, so the security thing I could understand. But the physical was really weird. I've worked for a couple other cleaning services, and they'd asked for some health questions, sure. But this time, I had to get a doctor's exam, and on my own dime. It was irritating, but I figured the bump in pay would be worth it. No one was allowed to move into the condos yet, so they were still in the process of showing the place off to potential residents. Me and a few other custodians we're just supposed to make sure that nothing got too dusty. It was an easy enough gig. There were 60 apartments and only three of us, so the work still took all night. They had us cleaning there twice a week, sometimes more if there was an open house that day. After a couple of weeks, I noticed that I didn't feel as good as I used to. I had the sniffles and all my muscles felt really sore. Now, I was used to things bothering me and feeling a little under the weather. I had to work a lot with heavy-duty chemicals, and I was on my feet when I wasn't in class, and normally I could just push through it. But this felt worse than usual. I figured it was the lead up to the flu, but I couldn't afford to call off from work. When I had my regular shift at the condos, I warned the other custodians to give me some space. Apparently, they had come down with something too. We all felt a little sick and didn't want to be there, but we were going to tough it out. Now, usually, I would take the middle floors, Regina would take the top and Jackson would take the bottom of the building. We didn't actually see each other much once our shift started. But that night, I needed a refill of bleach. So I headed down a couple of floors to the lobby looking for Jackson. I found him passed out against his cart. He was breathing, but his lips were blue. 
I helped him sit up against the wall and I called Regina. I didn't know if he needed an ambulance yet or not. He was sweaty and clammy to the touch. Whatever had happened to him, it was bad. When Regina got to us, she gave him some of her coffee. He was still shaky, but we got him to talk a little bit. He said he had been getting dizzy, and it just hit him all at once. He had tried to go outside and get some air, but he didn't make it. As he told us all of that, I realized that I was getting dizzy too. When I had been upstairs just then, I was fine. Now, I was getting nauseous. I told Regina to take him outside for a bit. And then I tried to calm myself down and tried to figure out exactly what I was feeling. There was this ringing in my ears that hadn't been there before. I walked around to see if I could shake it off. I noticed that when I stood in a particular part of the lobby, it felt much worse. Almost like a vibration was coming up from right beneath me. Now, in all the time that we had been working there, we never went below the lobby. There were offices down there that we didn't have to clean, but I decided to head downstairs this time. I felt worse the further I got underground. I made it two floors down and I had to catch my breath. And again, it was just offices down there. I kept going until I reached the hall leading to the boiler rooms. That's when it felt like my head was going to vibrate out of my skull. I couldn't even see straight. And now I could hear the vibration itself. It was pounding the walls. I made it to the boiler room door and couldn't go any further. When I got back to the lobby, Jackson looked better, but he still wasn't strong enough to work. I was about ready to throw up, and Regina said she didn't have much left in the tank either. We decided to call it a night and leave. We hoped we would feel better in the morning. We told our boss about what happened. I didn't want him to think that we were slacking off for no reason, or else we'd be in trouble. When we talked about how sick we got, he called the building's property manager. Normally, we would never interact with them because there's no need. But all of a sudden, we're in a meeting with this woman and have to describe everything we did that night. She actually arranged our doctor's appointments. We couldn't get reassigned. Our boss actually wanted us in the building three nights a week instead of one. He offered to triple our pay, so of course, we all took it. Going into that building again and again, it's hard to describe. On some nights, I felt as sick as soon as I walked inside and couldn't work at all. And then other nights, it felt totally normal. Regina and Jackson experienced the same. The property manager gave us a reporting form where we had to document all of our symptoms. I quit as soon as we hit the new year. My body couldn't take the stress, and honestly, I learned to be afraid of that building. Jackson left too, but as far as I know, Regina still works that cleaning shift. I think I'll ask her to call in and give you more details. She says she's been getting worse. Hey there, Donovan. I wanted to write in with a dogman story that I experienced about a decade ago. I used to be a railway maintenance worker. I'm now retired, but I have a ton of stories from those days. Some are pretty dark and sad, like bodies being found on the tracks, both human and animal. But generally, servicing the rails was a steady and decent job. Not too overtaxing in terms of physical labor. Back when I could still lift a decent amount and had good cardio. These days, retirement has given me a bit of a belly, and I'm enjoying myself. These creatures aren't uncommon for railroad maintenance workers to see, especially out in the remote areas. Some stretches of track go through the middle of nowhere, big forests for miles, or just fields once you get further out and west. In fact, if you're on the right crew, 
There's a good chance everyone will end up telling us stories one night after having a drink or two about what they've seen or experienced. Most of the stories are unbelievable to the point of almost being funny, but every once in a while I'd hear one that would give me the chills. This happened when I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and I got sent out with a crew to work on a track running south. We started out early in the morning and got our gear on, mostly reflective jackets, boots, and tool belts. The crew takes out a string of machines that can do everything we need out there, like relaying track, taking out or putting in new ties, or leveling. It's loud, dirty, and dangerous work, so everyone needs to be focused on the job. But every once in a while, if there's a lull, like if we're moving from one section to the next, you can take a good look around. The afternoon this happened, I was on a crew with about 10 guys, and we were just finishing up leveling a section that had gotten washed out by heavy rain. There were a few new guys on the crew, and one was in his early 20s. His name was Anthony. He was up ahead of me on the track, securing the new ties, when all of a sudden, he shouted. The machinery is extremely loud, so it's hard to hear. But I saw him jump up on the car out of the corner of my eye, and he looked up. He was pointing out into the woods. This was an area near a river, so we had a decent view down to the water and then across, where a pump house was stationed on the other side. Not sure if it was active or not. Myself and another service worker followed to where he was pointing and saw what initially looked like a stray dog sniffing around the building. But it quickly became obvious that this wasn't somebody's dog. Even across from the river, we could tell this thing was huge. It stood up on its hind legs and moved a little awkwardly around to the side of the building. We could now see it better than Anthony could. He had scrambled to over where we were on the tracks and asked, what the hell is that? The other guy with us told him, that's a dog man. Anthony looked both scared and like he didn't believe us. The three of us watched this thing, which didn't seem bothered by the loud sounds coming from the side of the river, as it checked out the pump house. I'm not sure what it was looking for, but every few seconds it would get back down on all fours and seem to be sniffing around the edge. From what I could tell, it was some sort of gray-brown with a longer snout that reminded me of a German shepherd. When it stood again, we could see that it was hunched over a bit, as if it wasn't used to standing upright. But it moved around easily enough, and when it reached for the single window on the pump house, there were like hands where there should have been paws. We could see the fingers as it made this fist and knocked on the glass, as if it was trying to see if someone was in there. If there was, I don't blame them for not coming out but it was probably empty. Most pump houses these days are set to operate on their own, with regular check-ins by maintenance workers. Anthony was still freaked out and sticking pretty close to us. We had about another minute or two watching this dog-like creature, and the guy with us muttered that he had to be close to seven feet tall. Now, if this creature would have been standing next to our machines, it would have had no problem reaching the roof of the lead car. Someone up ahead called that the section we were working on was clear and the lead car started up again with the groan and what sounded like a car backfiring. That caught its attention and we climbed back up on the car that would pull us to the next station but could still see this thing as we're moving slow at first. When the bang sounded, he quickly turned to the river and seemed caught off guard. He must have seen the movement of the machines and the crew through the trees but didn't make a move to run or try to hide. For the rest of that day and afternoon, Anthony was in a bit of a daze. That night we stayed in a small town that had a decent pub 
where a bunch of us went to grab a drink. We went around talking about other dogman sightings, either things we'd seen or we heard other workers seeing on the tracks. I think our goal was to reassure Anthony that these creatures aren't necessarily out to hurt you. I've only heard of them causing trouble, and the one that we saw that day seemed to be looking for something. But he wasn't convinced, and he didn't last too long after that. I think he moved on to a desk job. Either way, if this makes it onto your show, thanks. I love listening to your channel, and usually have it on while I'm tinkering around the house. 